This episode contains frank talk about suicide. If you are thinking about suicide or are worried about a friend or a loved one, the Canada Suicide Prevention Service is available 24-7-365 at 1-833-456-4566. You can also find links to suicide prevention and mental health support services in the footnotes for this episode. You are not alone. This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP Actra, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP Actra, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. And today, I am so excited to welcome Candace McClure to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Woo! Oh my God, guys. <laughs> I have more to say than woo. You just hid behind your hands, too. That's yes. hilarious. Well, I got, I got to do my thesis statement. So, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I've spent the last week immersed in the work of Candace McClure. And what a journey it has been. As D on the critically acclaimed and beloved Battlestar Galactica, I watched her fight and love and scheme and hope and ultimately succumb to utter despair. As Nick Tibetan in the third and final season of Motherland Fort Salem, I watched her wrestle with her past as a terrorist while forging unexpected alliances with the very witchy soldiers she used to hate. As Sam in Neil Blomkamp's widely entertaining feature film Demonic, which was filmed in secret in the early days of the pandemic, I watched through my fingers, Candace, through my fingers fingers as in one really scary scene she embodied the stuff of nightmares and as golden eyes in the genre-defying feature film sow the winter to my skin a role for which she was nominated for an african movie academy award she somehow managed to speak volumes about the impact of oppression on humanity without actually speaking many words at all I have only scratched the surface. Candace's filmography is lengthy and isn't limited to any one type of genre or character. Other recent work includes Gen Zeros, which is a cutting-edge project championed by friend of the pod Alex Ponovic, Charmed, Limetown, the brilliant and so bonkers Netflix series Ghost Wars, and a standout role as Viola Desmond, the entrepreneur who challenged segregation in Nova Scotia in the 1940s in an iconic Heritage Minute. And if you're from Canada, you know what those Heritage Minutes mean. For everybody else, 
You can find a link to that in the footnotes. The projects and roles are wildly different, but the thread that unites them all is the humanity, authenticity, and conviction that Candace brings to each and every one. There's a magic there. So today, let's get to know the artists behind those magical roles. Candace McClure, welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Sabrina, that yes? was the most amazing introduction. Oh, you're like you're ba- you leaning back in your chair. You're like your body, your arms wow. are crossed in front of you. Are Who you okay? That? That's you. That's you. That's it. That's you. How I see you after spending, you know, the last week uh, immersed. And I should also say that you also you co-starred with my dear friend, uh, dearly departed friend, Darren Shalavi in Aladdin and the Death Lamp, uh, which was a film that meant a lot to Darren, you know, for sure. And um, is the only film that up until recently that Darren's sister had been able to show Darren's niece and nephew, the ones who were born since he died, you know, because uh, Darren did a lot of really violent, gory stuff, right? So a nice family friendly film, like that's the one that that uh, she was able to show them. So yeah, welcome. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Let me tell you, I needed that introduction. Yeah. Today was not the day. <laughs> yeah. Candace did arrive a little late, stuck in traffic, had to pee, whole big thing, but you got here. My mind does not work in straight lines. Yeah. It really doesn't. And as much as I try and create structure around my life I am a bit of a dizzy devil well you're an actor I mean that that happens how would you describe this particular moment though in your in your career and in your art I'm at a loss for words which is very strange because I am such a chatty Kathy okay bring my thoughts towards myself you know I think for so long I was just trying to get to the next step Hmm. and um, to make a slightly better decision, to figure things out a little bit more, to feel more secure in my craft, hmm. um, to have a sense of belonging to something, a community of people, um, and along with kind of personal trials that happened along the way. This is going to sound a bit pretentious. Um, <laughs> because I didn't come to acting. I didn't ever think of it as a career option. Really? So growing up then, that wasn't what you imagined yourself doing? What did you imagine yourself doing when you were like 11 years old, which is the same age as my daughter, so that's the age I go to right now. And it is such a pivotal and powerful age. Oh, she she knows everything. If you want to know anything about anything... She will ask tell you. Yeah, ask an eleven-year-old. Actually, they make really great life decisions because they're so clear. You know, they're so just clear, like right and wrong, this and that. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, exactly. They're so you at eleven? Unburdened. Um, I immigrated to Canada when I was eleven. Wow. I left my grandparents' home in a middle-class suburb in Durban, and took my first airplane halfway across the world and um, spent a night in uh, like a safe house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I was picked up by a church group who facilitated 
reuniting parents, immigrant families. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't seen my mother in like a couple of years, maybe three or four years. Wow. She left when I was seven. And um, <laughs> I walked across the border. I had a, they dropped me a kilometer from the border and I had my bag and a doll, if you can even believe it, a Raggedy Ann doll, and this letter that my mom had written. And I walked up to the Canadian US border and I handed the officer this letter and they put me in a room and they questioned me and figured out, got a hold of my mom and figured out she was who she said she was. And she came down and it was the first time I saw my mom in four years and she, ran up to me and gave me this huge hug and spun me around. And her friend Christine had a Polaroid and took a picture quickly. Wow. And then the customs officers separated us, put us in separate rooms, questioned each of us. Obviously, they're releasing a minor into somebody's custody. Yeah. And I came to Canada. Um, it was a long time before like, we sorted out, like we, yeah different paths my mom had been working here on a work permit and just like that path to citizenship and and Mm. naturalization took a long time but yeah when I was 11 I showed up in Canada like and um I realized both how young I was like when I look back I was so young Mm. and so different and so awkward and everything was so new and exciting on the first day, my mom took me to the Stanley Park Rose Garden. Wow. I remember thinking how amazing everything here was. It was summertime. It was like this. It was so beautiful. And um, yeah. So at yeah, at 11, my life completely changed. And mm. that person that I was in South Africa, I mean, I'm I'm the same person in so many ways, but she loved to put on performances. I would enlist the neighborhood kids, my best friend in particular, and we'd put on variety programs. I mean, we had song and dance acts. We had animal tricks. Oh, wow. <laughs> we had Very complicated for little numbers. kids. Oh, we yeah. Had, you know, I loved, loved it. Loved lip syncing, loved doing dance choreography. I'd make costumes for us. We'd have all these things. So if I look back, I can think, oh, I was always that kind of little performance person just wanted to kind of make people happy around me and Mm. bring community together Uh, but I didn't actually think that was a job or anything like I expected to go to school my family is a family of academics Um, my grandfather would always ask me when I was getting a real job Mm. Um, I don't think they still kind of quite understand what I do for a living because I, my life is such a departure from every other lineage mm-hmm. in my family. And um, I, like this year was such a realization and gratitude because I'm at the age where I can look back so much on my life and see how things have changed. And there's now different eras and generations. Hmm. Uh, but I still feel so young and full of energy and possibility and what that actually means going forward. Um, So what era is this then in your life? Oh, this is a great one, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I I like to call it the villain era because I always think of villains um, or villainesses as being like just knowing themselves. Mm. 
in a way where it's like, this is for me, this is not for me. Uh, I have agency to do these things. Mm. I have um, the ability to change my circumstances. I've done it before, I can do it again. Yeah. Uh, I am a different version of myself. I've seen how I've grown and and been able to do away with a lot of what I didn't need before in terms mm. of needing approval, feeling less confident about things, not really having something to fall back on, mm-hmm. sense of self to fall back on. So um, things have really taken a ride. So the previous five years or seven year cycle to this was quite tough. Um, I was not acting for a while. Mm. I have always made choices about my life and not necessarily my career. So Mm. like I got married, I moved to the Caribbean. I looked at other aspects of acting, producing and writing and doing different things, which is all very interesting and exciting. I don't know if I'm quite built for it, but Mm. (laughs) Um, But you tried, tried it on. And I do. I just do it in a way that's authentic to me. Mm. That's what I've learned. Uh, But I did take a break and I had a lot of personal upheaval. That marriage didn't work out. Mm -hmm. I was in a different country. I had stepped away from my career and I had to do a lot of rebuilding Mm. um, personally, professionally, financially, in so many ways. And I just had this moment the other night. I was talking to my mom and I was sitting in my apartment and um, looking out over the balcony and I was like, wow, I did it. Hmm. I did it. I went from, you know, the height of of Battlestar in my kind of late 20s and sort of being such a fast rising thing. I was 23 when I was on that Mm. show. I was a baby, I didn't know anything. And I was more visibility, more resources than I had ever seen in in my life. And um, I tried to make good choices, but you don't have, you can't look ahead that far. Yeah. Right? Um, Or you think you can. Uh, and then going through a relationship era where I really wanted partnership, I really wanted somebody to build with. I was um, not lonely, but aware of being alone. Yeah. Um, and pursued that, and I'm so grateful for it ultimately. And now I've, you know, what's that saying? There's nothing stronger than a than a woman who's lost everything and mm. built herself up again. That's really how I feel. I. I went from sleeping on my mom's couch, uh, kind of having lost everything. I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there I was in my own apartment, in my own space, going over a script, preparing for work the next day, yeah. talking to my mom, talking to my best friends, um, feeling safe, feeling like, wow, I can do this. I I did it. I I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I have things to look forward to. And I said to my mom, I am the freest woman in my maternal lineage. Hmm. I live the most I live with the most 
volition and self-determination. I live with the most freedom and I live with the most resources than any other woman in my immediate lineage. And that was really saying something for mm. me. You know, when I, when I played Viola Desmond and mm. looked at her history and her life, I mean, she is such a remarkable woman and I can, can you tell my listeners a little bit? Because we have listeners all over the world. Oh, my you goodness. Know, who might not know about this woman who is now on our $10 bill. Thank would, you very much. <laughs> it would bring me no greater joy than to tell you about Miss Viola Desmond. Um, Viola Desmond was a black Canadian woman who lived in Halifax, Nova Scotia, who, I guess on the surface, came from a large family. Um, lots of brothers and sisters. She ran a beauty salon. She went on to develop a beauty school mm. uh, and trained young women um, in beauty and care. She had her own product line of cosmetics for women of color. Uh, she was an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. She, oh my God, she did so much for her community uh, through real estate and investments and education, helping people with their educations. Um, she was a quiet and kind of steely woman, but had so much impact mm. on the people around her. She, her salon was a community hub. People knew that they could come to her and rely on her. Um, I guess she's most well known for an incident in a movie theater that kind of, not kind of, but exemplified the type of racism inherent in Canadian culture hmm. at that time. And I would argue is something we still struggle with because it's not, no, you can't come in here. It's, mm, yes, you can maybe under these circumstances. Hmm. So you're never explicitly told that you don't belong, but there's all these kinds of rules, miasma of societal rights and wrongs and notions of propriety um, that you're meant to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think for someone like Miss Viola, who was a woman of her own means, she worked very hard. Uh, she was very focused on her clientele, her community and sense of growth. Mm. She bought a car, cash, in 1942 as a 32-year-old black woman. I know it doesn't sound like too much today, but at the time it was revolutionary. And she drove that car by herself, sitting on a cushion to go and deliver her makeups to uh, train young women in not only the beauty industry, but also the business of it, how to run their own businesses. She's phenomenal. And yes, she's on the currency. And yes, we know more about her. But I... I want so deeply for Canadians to know the life of this woman, that she was a human, that she had passions and relationships and fit within this context of her family and her community in this way that I think we can all really relate to. And discovering her was so powerful to me. I think also in part, I see so many parallels between the experience of black Canadians, black people in Canada, so many similarities to my experience coming from a mixed community in South Africa, mm. because you're from there, 
but you're never quite from there. Mm. You're this third entity where you've been dislodged for reasons outside your control from your lineage. Black Canadians on the East Coast of Canada have the same lineage as Black Americans along the East Coast of North America. Um, but what I see in the parallels between South African apartheid and Canada, and to be clear, apartheid was modeled in large part on the Canadian system of dealing with Indigenous people in this country. I think that's going to be a revelation to a lot of especially white Canadians hearing that, but absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah. The apartheid government sent out emissaries to all places in the world to study systems of oppression and took the most functional <laughs> aspects of all those systems and, cr and created apartheid, yeah. which means separateness. And as a function of, as a system, as a functioning system, it was really successful. Remember, a minority government in South Africa ruled a majority country for decades. Yeah. It's actually astounding when you think of it. So, and part of that was, was how they dealt with indigenous people in Canada. Mm. So how is that not going to kind of spill over into other communities? It's just, they were really good at keeping it quiet. But the psychology of a middling class in apartheid mm. that is that is the cage that they lock you in it's the tall poppy syndrome it's the community polices itself who do you think you are you can't strive too much or shoot too high or go too far outside the bounds mm. and viola thought a great deal of herself in a really positive way because she thought she could do it i can run a business I can start a school. I can be a part of my community in a meaningful way. I can solve problems. I can take on the law. Hmm. I can take on the government. I can do something to make something right. And that is an audacious notion. Yeah. And that's the story that I think is missed about Viola. Yes, she got put in jail over tax fraud for sitting in the wrong section of a movie theater but it's because she dared to believe that she belonged in the front row yeah amazing yeah you speak you you speak about her with so much affection yeah it is do you feel this way about a lot of the the characters that you play do you fall in love with them or is there something specific now Sabrina uh, you just described me playing a, a demon-possessed woman, <laughs> a terrorist, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a young woman with, with ultimately a broken heart and, and psychological issues. Let's, mm -hmm, let's mm -hmm. be fair. Um, the running joke is that I've spent so much of my career crying and dying. Oh, uh, oh. And that the villain era was actually kind of a great liberation. Like playing Nick Vatan was so great because I was like, oh, she's just enough. She's just enough of crazy to believe that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know. You know, when I turned when I turned 40, um, congratulations. I, welcome. It's yeah, great over here. <laughs> it's so good. Well, I've been sitting in 40 for a couple of years now, but I just I I 
I wanted to be, I wanted to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. So in the weeks leading up to turning 40, I said, I want to be hashtag 40 AF, 40 as fuck. And I think because I was scared of turning 40, I think I thought, and I think we're raised, especially as women, you know, to think that we get to a certain age, mm. we're not worth as much, you know, and I, I, or we, we lose our, we lose our, our appeal, people won't listen to us in the same way, you know, especially when you're, you're BIPOC women, there's, it's, you know, it's even, it's even, um, I don't say it's a smaller window, but it's even harder to be, you know, to be heard. Yes. You know, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be quote unquote old. And I am putting that in quotes. I'm gonna be 40. But there was something about I'm, you know, talking to other other women, talking to people about what it means to be 40 AF, 40 as fuck, that I'm like, oh, I'm actually I'm coming into something now. It's not that yes. I'm leaving something behind. It's I'm actually stepping into some some power. Yeah, I'm 40 as fuck. And it's not even about caring less. I think I care more about certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I care less about the stuff that that um, is corrosive, you know? Exactly. Uh, and so so that's that was what um, turning 40 meant to be. I, can we talk a little bit, though, about joy in mm. your work? You know, where do you derive your joy? What what role does that play, you know, now, especially with the choices that you're making as you are in your audacious, quote unquote, villain era? I'm ready for the villain. <laughs> I love her. The villains have the best lines and the best shoes. Like, you can make wrong decisions from a good place. Yeah. Um, and you can move on from them. You can change your mind. And maybe that's the power of of being the age that we are. Hashtag 40 A. I am 40 as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it so much. <laughs> so can we talk about joy then? Where, where do you derive your joy? What role does joy play in the work? Capital T, capital W. I just really like being on set. Sabrina. Yeah. I love being with all those people hmm. making the thing. Can you remember the first time that you mm -hmm. you tapped into that that magic, that onset joy? My first few roles, I mean, my first, my very first role in a class of his own, and it was just a, a weird series of events. I'd never done anything before. I was kind of there on a lark. Uh, Richard Lucas was, he was like, sure, let's send her to this audition. Let's see what happens. Like, <laughs> he did not have high hopes. The role was for for a boy, for a man. The ro role was for a teenage boy hmm. named Brady. And they sent me in there, and for whatever reason, I, I got it, and they shuffled some things around in the script. But I remember being on set, and the director kind of laughing at me because they would be like, hit your mark and face the light. And I was like, the who what now? <laughs> <laughs> Don't understand the language you're speaking. I was just like, you're going to have to help me out. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get it. <laughs> Sounds like you got it. Eventually, got it. you got it. The next project was higher ground. And mm. now I'm now I'm in this arena with Jewel State and AJ Cook and Megan Ori and Christian Haydenson and Jorge, like people who have been doing this who are my age, but mm. like have such a knowing of it. And we're all together in this trailer where we're like in these little booths next to each other and we hanging out with each other on the weekends and I'm learning I'm watching what they're all doing and how it operates on set and I can see how it kind of comes this unit and 
I'm the kind of person who just love, like I just love pulling on a rope with other people. Mm. I just love it. I'm just, I will get in there and I will work my tail off when I know that we're all together kind of trying to get something across a line. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite feelings and it's something that I get on like, it's like I can just tap into it you all the time. It. You feel it, yeah. So um, I can't say the project that I'm on at the moment. Please make sure I don't <laughs> get in so much trouble. Okay, okay, okay. We're all looking out for you. We're all we're all listening <laughs> oh my God, to make sure you don't so say it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to like say something about it. It's gonna be so fun. <laughs> She's my most fun character to date. Your most fun character. She is that joy. Oh yeah. So it's like I've gone through crying and dying, w transitioned through villain. It's such to me. It's such a heroine's journey. Mm. I had to get somewhere, and I didn't know how. I've been slaying dragons. I spent seven years slaying dragons mm. externally, internally, family li lineage, relationships, money, all these things. All of it. Then I had to get on the ship, and you know sail the waters find the allies get the golden fleece whatever the magic stick to thing that yeah. to get. <laughs> i want to watch that movie <laughs> where all of that happens right <laughs> and i had to find that shadow part of myself and reconcile myself with it because it is that's oh. that aspect of myself and now i get to live the hero oh but she can't say the playful dynamic slightly reckless like she still falls on her face, but she's always gonna work it out. She's always gonna land on her feet. She's always gonna make it right. She's she's always gonna make the right decision in the end because mm. she's always coming from her heart. Wow, that's you. And I was like, describing yourself. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I usually end my interviews with this, but I kind of want to bring this in right now because I'm imagining you, you know, on um, you know, with Jewel and everybody, you know, doing higher ground, and. Uh, and just like really taking it all in and also, but also having like these moments of like, there's so much that I don't know and I wanna know more. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself in that moment, you know, and give give yourself like, you know, s some words of wisdom, you know, that will make it easier for you as you, you know, navigate or, or you know, traverse the difficult waters of your, you know, 20s and 30s till hashtag 40 AF. You know, what would you say? Or would you not say anything at all? Mm. You hear how it's beeping out there, by the way? Girl. I told you. <laughs> the, the minute we started. It's backing up. <laughs> all its lights Just on. back and forth. <laughs> it's going back and forth. Back and forth. Yeah. I feel like it has a billboard. It's like just really trying to get us to recycle. I don't know. Oh, there's another one. Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, they know where I'm recording. They it's know. It's real life out here. <laughs> yeah. It's real life. I love how it says lecker. That's. South African for good. That's so crazy. It's Afrikaans for good. Really? It's lekker. Okay. Um, I got all kinds of weird signs coming over here, so this is going to be great. Yeah. Um, I actually said this to uh, a young actress recently that I mentor, and that's a great program through the union. I don't know. Um, oh, through UBCP yeah. Action. Yeah. Fantastic program that they do. Um, is to make the mistakes. I spent so much time into my 20s trying to trying to act grown up and like <laughs> show that I had it all figured out and like I didn't mm. 
I also went seeking outside of myself in a way where it was like I didn't know and other people had to tell me. Um, and I, I appreciate the openness of that looking back, but um, I gave away a lot of my power, as they say. And mm. I allowed a lot of influence because I allowed a lot of shame for the mistakes that I was making mm. because I felt like I needed to have it together. I was on the show, I, you know, all this stuff. Um, and I would just say, just revel. <laughs> revel in the making of mistakes. Mm. Yeah. Revel in all the things that you get wrong and discovering how you learn yeah. and what your process is. The greatest thing you can do is to discover your own process, mm. to find out when you work best and what you need to feel supported and what doesn't work for you and try things on yeah and be okay with that turnover one of the culminating experiences of my life is is understanding that stuff doesn't stop happening mm, what do you mean <laughs> um as an actor there will be periods of periods of feast and periods of famine and you have to take those the same way. You have to find the through line that keeps you balanced and stable when you are receiving applause and acclaim and when the phone is not ringing. You have to feel like the same person. You have to be able to go back to the same things. Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah do those same things, be a person recognizable to yourself yeah. and then learn the turnover. The thing happens, you take a second to go, oh, whoa, that happened. You develop, cultivate the self-awareness to go, ah, why did that happen? How did I make that happen? What were the external forces involved in yeah. that happening? For good and for bad, for the thing can be good or bad. Absolutely. And then going, okay, that happened. And moving on. Yeah. Because so much time can be spent. And shame is such a difficult emotion to deal with. Yeah. Especially when you feel alone or you're afraid to speak out about it. And that vulnerability of saying, hey, I messed up. Hey, I don't know. I don't understand. This feels weird, but can I ask, you know, finding language around being able to express those things yeah. and kind of bringing people into that with you um, and just increasing the turnover like being able to do that process for yourself mm. and then find your go back to chopping what is chopping wood to me what is carrying water this thing has happened why did that happen this is what I was responsible for here's what I learned from that thing great I'm going to go back to what I was doing because yeah. I'm the same person. And being able to do that faster is basically what being a grown up is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just being able to be adaptive faster because stuff will never stop happening mm. for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, she made a lot of mistakes, but I wasted so much time thinking that I couldn't begin something. Yeah. Because I thought I was supposed to already know. And I don't like 
every new job, I feel exactly the same way. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) What? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) How do I do this? I have these conversations so that like the these conversations on the podcast so that I can speak to people who might still who might currently be feeling isolated, you know, or islanded, you know, in some way and be like how you're feeling. That's normal. How you know the the uncertainty that you're feeling, yeah. um the the not knowing where to stand or where to put your hands or what to do. Everybody goes through that, you know, you're not alone in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um I guess a thing that people don't necessary people who know me know this about myself about me but i spend a lot of time alone Hmm. i spend a lot of time in my own space and in my own thoughts and kind of doing my own things often to my detriment because i forget i'm just like oh right (laughs) i gotta participate with people you know um and i love being around people but sometimes you know you sort of get that satisfaction on set and it's easy to um I need to decompress by myself. Mm. I'm a person that recharges in in solitude. But um, you're, it's such a vulnerable place to be, but it is so full of an opportunity of growth. Mm. Um, you know, because you don't always find the community right away. Mm. You're not always welcomed into it right away. You're not always given clear direction. Um, And it can feel sort of lonely and insurmountable. And people have to make their own choices, right? Mm. It's it's not, it's a fun job. It's a very fulfilling job. It has very lofty perimeters in what we get to do. Storytelling is literally the evolution of human consciousness in so many ways. It's how we carry information to ourselves and expand our minds and how we think and create empathy and be with each other. And we long for it. Human beings long for it. It's the thing, it's the last thing we will let go of when we're most stressed out. And the pandemic taught us that. We all just clung to art. Yeah. Where are my stories? <laughs> Where are my stories? It wasn't right. all Tiger King. People it are watching all, all sorts of stuff. kinds of stuff, <laughs> right? Something I learned from looking at athletes and how athletes um, create their lives and sustain themselves. Because this is a job of stamina. Mm. If you're really trying to do this as a career, and I'm sure... Sharon Taylor and Jules there's so many actresses in this city who I've come up alongside and fuck am I happy to see them not just in the audition rooms but on my television screen Mm. because I'm like you earned that (laughs) you did that shit and it took decades literally decades so this is a long game and it is a marathon not a sprint and it is when you're creating for longevity you give yourself a little bit more time you give yourself a little bit more grace you understand that you don't lose until you quit Hmm. 
sometimes quitting is the right thing to do. I've quit. <laughs> I moved to an island in the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, that's quitting. You literally islanded yourself. I came literally. off a show. Yeah. I came <laughs> off Netflix's second scripted series ever after House of Cards mm. on Hemlock Grove. And instead of moving to Los Angeles and getting my you know, papers for LA and working on American shows, which I quote unquote should have done. I made a choice to be in a relationship and, and want to be a part of a family and create a home. And so I went and I did that. Mm. So everybody needs to make their own choices in what their own process is. Yeah. For me, I felt like I'd grown up on camera and didn't have life experience. I had I only had these experiences in my imagination. And oh, I was like, how am I going to play a person in a relationship if I've never actually been in a relationship? Yeah. How am I going to understand that if I've never actually experienced it? I can watch movies and study it, but how do I know what this system does yeah. in relationship, in a close, intimate relationship? So I went to go find that out, right? But it's all that process it's all towards cultivating the system of you yeah where does Battlestar Galactica sit in how you see yourself and your art you know because I mean you talked about you mentioned Jewel State that's somebody who you know she'd been a child actor mm -hmm. and then when she did Firefly she was 19 years old, mm -hmm. you know, and despite all the stuff that she's done since then, you know, that's the one that people will hold up one. and be like, why don't you look the same? And she's like, because I was 19 years old. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I look fucking great. Yeah. Second of all. <laughs> no, but is it, but like, and I, and I asked, I talked to Jewel about this as well. Like, is, is it a... You know, to, to be so closely associated with a project as beloved as Battlestar, you know, and, and a role as beloved as D. Like I, I was among the people who were like shocked, you know, when she when she took her own life. Mm -hmm. um, is that is that something that is is a hindrance to you as you as you move forward or, or you know, like where does it sit for you? How do you how do you look back at that time? Uh, that was my universe. That was my bachelor's degree. Mm completely out of left field. It met me right at, it caught me at the, just the right moment yeah. in time. Um, and I got to be around and learn from such an extraordinary group of people and people who continue to be in my life. That show, listen, something like that exists beyond just me. Mm. I was a part of it. I got to play a role in it. I am... I symbolize something to the people whose lives it affected. Mm. Um, and I think that is an incredible thing because it happens to this day. It happened to me on set on Thursday. One of the crew members was like, I'm really sorry, but like, it's an iconic moment in television. And to me, it like exists outside of me. Mm. It exists outside of it's it's a moment in and of itself and um there was my experience of it mm. <laughs> there was me being a young actor on a 
this huge show, not really realizing what that was, coming to understand what that was, kind of fighting for myself within it, um, living this parallel life to the character, new information kind of coming in all the time. Also just a really pivotal growing time for myself. Oh gosh, you know? your early 20s. That's so huge. Oh my God. I mean, I, I've said this on the podcast before and I'll say it again. Like growing up, like when I was like in elementary school, I thought the teen years were going to be very tumultuous. Mm. No comparison the to the 20s and yeah. what actually goes on there. And the fact that we expect people in their late teens to make decisions about what they're going to do with their life. And it's you can't do that. It's almost exactly. like you do need to be kind of flung into a, you know, um, a Battlestar <laughs> situation. To experience the world. Yeah. To experience other people. To yeah. experience other people doing what they're doing. And, and how it versions. impacts you and how you're going to, like, you know, survive and, and, you know, thrive or just mm -hmm. carry on and get through the next day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, who, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> like, who actually am I? You yeah. know? And yeah, I mean, I was dealing with, I was working two jobs at restaurants and had graduated high school and didn't know what I was doing and then became an actor in a weird way, but didn't really think that that was like a real thing and yeah. kept thinking, oh, I'll go back to school. I'll do this. I'll, you know, I'll get some kind of BSc and then I'll think about what to do after that. Mm -hmm. or, you know, I just thought, but um, and then I, th this thing happened, and now there's all these other possibilities open to me. But I don't, because I didn't, I didn't come to it, and I had nobody around me familiar with it. I had to go and find those things. I didn't actually know what that meant. <laughs> you know, to me, I was, I got a job, and yeah. to this day, it feels the same way. Like. Uh, the project that I'm currently working on right now, top secret. That Yeah, she can't say, she can't say. Um, Doing a great job of not saying it, by the way. I'm skirting that line. <laughs> it's so hard because it's so fun. <laughs> um, you know, I called my mom. And to be fair, this job is actually the closest equivalency not an exact equivalency by any stretch of the imagination because Battlestar was something in and of itself. It was the first of its kind in so many ways. Mm. It told stories in a new kind of, like there was just so much new about it that set precedent for the shows that we see on TV now. And while I'm so aware that I was a part of that and I got to experience it in this internal way from inside of it looking out, which is, a once in a, it's a once in a lifetime thing, yeah. honestly. Edward James almost said that to us after the first table read. He was like, I feel sorry for you young guys who are coming onto this show because this is the best piece of work that I have done that I will ever do. And I've been doing this job for 50 years. So I don't know what you're going to do after this. It's going to be tough for you to find other work that is going to be comparable to this. And he was not wrong. Hmm. But as a young actor, you st I got bills to pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm out here trying to live. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got to make decisions, you know. Um, and I guess that's the life of an actor, although I rail against that notion. For, for those of us that have been doing it for 20 years, you know, 
or even to, I don't know. It's your job. Yeah. You know, it's my job. And while the outside world looks at it as this glamorous kind of privileged thing, and in a lot of versions of it, it is, but there are also actors. There are all kinds of actors. We need actors for all kinds of things. Yeah. Actors meet people at all levels of society and in so many situations and you can make all kinds of careers out of it mm. and this notion that we're supposed to get like a real job like you're supposed to be doing something else on the side because you can't actually sustain yourself in your job perplexes me so much yeah. I'm just like I'm allowed to assume that I can take care of myself and have a career in this vocation yeah Right. I feel like I should expect at a certain point that I want to work and that I am able to. Yeah. But it's so funny because we have to wait for other people to tell us we can. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you're going right. for, I mean, basically an audition is a job interview. You're going to job interviews all the time. You're constantly unemployed. Yeah. It yeah. is terrifying for your parents. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to be pleased about this. They're yeah. going to be like, you are, what do, we, what do we like to call it? Fun employed. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Battlestar really set a really high bar. Yeah. And it, I struggled with it for a long time because I, you sort of go, well, and especially because that's how I learned. Mm. Right? Mary McDonald and Edward James almost as leads on a show. That's, those people are my models for how to be a lead on a show. Yeah. <sighs> you struggle. <laughs> <laughs> you struggle sometimes. Yeah. Because not everybody is, uh, is Mary McDonald and Uncle Eddie. <laughs> no. I've had Tomo on. I've had yeah. uh, Rika on. I've had I've had you exactly. on. Exactly. You know, and uh, I think you all were about at the same point in your careers as well when you all went to Battlestar University. We did. You know, and you're still carrying that experience. I'm so grateful for it. We are that generation. We are the class of Mary and Eddie. And yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. My problem is, I walk on a set. I can be number thirty-eight. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are there that many lines on a call sheet? I was number 54 recently. Um, <laughs> That's a long, a long sheet of paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> um, because I feel ownership of it. Mm. If I've been cast in that project and I am on that set, I feel ownership of it. Yeah. And I want to take responsibility for making it the best yeah you know and showing up and sometimes that's hard it's two o'clock in the morning and you're freezing and you're outside and or something's happened the night before and you you're going up on your lines all the time and you kind of are frustrated with some physicality of something but all that is i don't know it's fun for me it's the it's figuring it out that is where the joy is 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 figuring being on set out. and yeah and doing that and I still get nervous and I still get excited um, and I still think about it and try and think about it from all these different angles yeah. uh, and try and figure it out and I do not think I I don't know what I'm doing I really don't I'm just feeling my way through it I'm just trying my best to bring humanity to it ultimately 
yeah. is to bring humanity to it. That's and what they're looking do. for. You do. That's what I, f- I feel after spending the last week with really immersed in your work. There's a humanity there. And maybe that is because you're going with your gut and you're going with your instinct. And I'm not a technical actor. Yeah. I know technical actors. They're phenomenal at it. I don't have that kind of brain. Yeah. <laughs> but you have that kind of gut. I got the gut. You got I the for gut. sure have the gut. I've got yeah. the feelings for sure. And I have I I have the imagination and that and the willingness to kind of be uncomfortable. Um, I'm in awe of technical actors. Uh, yeah, but it's not for me. It's not. It's not <laughs> Candace McClure. I, I don't want to leave Battlestar just yet. Yeah. I didn't want to leave it before, you and I don't leave it ever. <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, sorry. No, that's, that's that's okay. She's pouring some water. So loud. Yeah, it's very first time on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's hard to to talk about Dee. It's impossible to talk about Dee uh, and her her impact on the show without talking about her death, mm-hmm. um, which was a death by suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, very shocking. Um, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about what your reaction was, you know, when you first learned that this was going to be how how D goes off the show and and you know how I, I don't know how how you like did you grieve like how did you work your way through that? Absolutely, I absolutely grieved. Um, I was not pleased. <laughs> well, I can't. I, I didn't imagine you'd be like, wow, what a great thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> didn't think that's. I did not think that that was uh, how you would react. But yeah, just you no. Know, it's just sort of how it happened. Like they didn't get to me in time to kind of let me know, and so it sort of leaked from the crew, and that's how I found out. No. And it was just kind of like, it just felt like, oh guys, like I've been here for so long. Like you couldn't just call me, you know. I I don't think they meant it in any kind of way. I think it was just production in the beginning of the year, and stuff happens. And Ron Moore called me and is just the most kind and gracious person. Mm. Um, But I was such a brat to him. (laughs) I was just like, come on, Ron. (laughs) Because you're in your early 20s. Do better, because I'm in my 20s. I think I can say that to Ron Moore. He took time out of his day to call me because he knew I was upset to be like, Candace, I'm so sorry this happened. You know we love you. This is what we're going to do. And ultimately, it was beautiful. They... The script was a piece of poetry to me. Just the the lead up to it and... And how they placed her in all these relationships with everybody um, within the context of her community. Yeah. We saw her as herself outside of her uniform. Favorite things. Yes. Uh, this was a segment that um, I originally developed with my with my daughter, who is like eight or nine when we came up with a lot of these questions. We like should you know we shake it up. Her belief, though, even at that young age of eight or nine, was how you answer these questions gives some insight 
into who you are and Ooh. what makes you tick. Oh, no. Yeah, so. You can't know that much about me. I'm a, I'm a vault. No, I, no, no way. Secret, no way. We're learning today that you are not. I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Um, no, I'm just um, at my house. Please don't do what Tom O'Panicat did when he came on the podcast because he kind of heard, instead of favorite things, it was like, I'm going to say the first things that comes to my mind. And some of these things that he answered were not his favorite things. They were just first things he, he thought of. That you know, so, so on brand. Yeah. <laughs> That's so are you, Tomo. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Oh, and I have I have a special voice that I use. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, here we go. <clears throat> Favorite midnight snack. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's a good one. Ooh, there's so many of them. Um this yogurt and frozen fruit. Okay. Like like a plain like Greek yogurt and Thick Greek, like 11% milk fat. Yeah. Yogurt. <laughs> That's yogurt that talks back. Yeah. It stands on its own two feet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what fruit? What are we, ta- what are we talking uh, Berries? Frozen cherries. Oh. Is, you, is the usual gag. Or pineapple. We're, we're swinging wide here. But... But I guess, with, like, I guess the, um, the full-bodiedness of the yogurt, like... Yeah. just works with the tartness of the cherries and the pineapple. I feel like the cream is the thing that puts me to sleep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you just eat a bunch of fat and, yeah. like, and some sugar and some cherries and, and then I'm good. Um, what else do I like to make in the middle of the night? No. Yeah. My mom is such a hippie, so I eat like healthy snacks. I'll have like walnuts and honey. Mm-hmm. Or oh, this is this is the most ridiculous thing I do. Okay, Brian. I shave out grate cheddar cheese onto the pan and put it in the toaster oven and make like crispy little cheese snacks. Crispy cheese snacks are my favorite. Parmesan's the hardest because it burns the fastest. Yeah, but it tastes the best. Cheddar is good because you get chewy bits and crispy bits. Yeah. That's very indulgent. Deadly. You know what would be super indulgent? If you get some nacho cheese and then you scoop up the nacho cheese with the cheddar cheese. Oh, my goodness. That's so much cheese. Like, use the cheddar as the chips and then scoop the, like, yeah. Velveeta in. Yeah, yeah. Don't give me idea. Do not threaten me with a good time. I'm. Oh, <laughs> that's me. It's all the threats I have. My... My last name, which is Furminger, which is not like a, it's it's my husband's last name. Mm-hmm. Apparently, when we first got together, he told me, and I was 19 at the time, so we've been together a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me uh, Furminger uh, was actually a derivative of a French name, and it meant fire eater, like Furminger. I'm like, Ooh. that's so hot. Um, but then, so we got married, and like I, I said to his granddad, I'm like, yeah, I'm so happy his last name is fire eater. He's like, it's a fire eater. It means cheese maker. So it's like there's... Deception. It was total deception. He so. was just trying to get... Listen, he was trying to take that down. He and he got it. On that finger. He got it. He got it. <laughs> Fire eaters, babe. But you know what? In the current context, we will do anything for cheese. So cheese maker. Yeah. That, that is sounds, hot. That just sounds like money to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Favorite. Oh, sorry. Oh, get the voice. Gotta, Come on. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> Favorite activity to do in your trailer. Oh, I dance in my trailer. Do you really? I do. I put music on and I like. Does it depend on the character? 
You know, like if if you're like you're if you're gonna be like a baton, like are you listening to like a certain kind of oh, like absolutely. you know? Oh, you need theme songs. Yeah, like no, no, the no, cure. Yeah. What yeah. was wait? What was Nikta's theme song? That was no. You would think it was like a banger like that. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was um. What was I listening to a lot? Uh, what was I playing on my ukulele? The other thing is to play my ukulele. So oh I, my God, you I play the ukulele? I play my ukulele. It depends <gasps> on who my neighbors are and like how big my trailer is. I'm I don't want to disturb with you. people. I'm really sorry. Why? I wish that I'd known that because I would have asked you to bring in your ukulele oh, in. And I would have, could... my hands would have been sweating. <laughs> I would have been the most nervous I have ever been in my life. <laughs> playing your ukulele? <laughs> I don't play for other people. I've played for other people. It's just me and my thousands of listeners. And you're <laughs> And everybody, <laughs> and everybody, and the, and the people in the in the trucks outside, and this guy in his recycling <laughs> truck. Um, maybe one day, you know what? I'll have to work up to it. Okay, okay, Next we'll get there. I'm on. I'll play the. I just I do it for me. Um, okay, so I I'm sorry. What was Baton's theme song? Um, I was practicing. Um, talking Heads. Um, what is that song? Home is where I want to be. Spin me up and turn me around. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, I kind of see thematically, like um, how that would work with yeah, baton. Yeah, this is where I'll be. It, it was a sense of belonging. Yeah. It was like, oh, I see you and you see me, and this is where I belong. Mm. Right. And, you know, of all those kinds of people, you've got a face with a view. Mm. Um, yeah. Just in her relationship to. Alder and this person that she looked up that she felt so betrayed by yeah and it was like yeah all she wanted was just to kind of be taken under that wing so she did that for other people but it was just what she craved so much is that that sense of belonging and, and being with each other yeah um yeah I, so it wasn't like I gotta say to the house down we haven't really we haven't really <laughs> talked a lot about love haven't referenced fact at all I mean you did come on playing a character that had already been established by another actor who you were like, who we also occasionally saw. Like, it's a whole thing with this show. It's, it's with lighters and then the face melts There's off and all this stuff. We can change yeah. the faces. We do it all the time. What kind of, yeah. what kind of work did, like, did you study the, the... It was tricky. Yeah, it was tricky. Because, like, I felt like, yeah, I looked at him like, she's embodying the the other, the other baton. Like, she, that, who is baton? Like, you're both baton, you know? Like, what kind of work did you do to, like... That was an interesting little puzzle. Uh, so you should have first said, like, puzzle. I don't know how to do this. Let's figure it out. No, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out. I was like, okay. Okay. There has to be a transition. She has to be recognizable mm. as the same person. But... She's not the same person. Mm -hmm. She is a version of this energy. Yeah. Expressed in this way because this design looks different. And I loved it because isn't that just us? Like, isn't that just kind of life? Like, mm. you're different versions of yourself, but you still see the world the same way. Yeah. Like that lens that you come to the world with. And these desires and yearnings that you have, but you... You put on these different kind of faces as you go through your life. Yeah. And so it was a, yeah, it was kind of a process of like starting out as the familiar. Yeah. And then slowly kind of as she grew in the storyline, shedding parts of her that didn't feel like the current version. 
Yeah, because she's being changed the entire time, because right? Because she, she's growing through yeah. this process, right? And then she comes out the other side back as herself, but in this transformed way. Hmm. And yeah, that last beat where it's the last time you see my face and the other and the other actress, uh, Arlen comes back. Um, the last thing I, you know, I say this thing to, to Alder and there was just, it's three, three words, four words. I can't do math, guys. It's not. I'm a right brain person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did not bring you on the podcast today to do math. Okay, because I'm not good at it. Oh, same. Um, <laughs> same. Me neither. Sorry. What are these four words? You remember? Yeah. Anything for you, Sarah. Mm. And that moment, it just culminated everything because it's like, yes, I journeyed so far to come back home. Mm. And ultimately, I gave my whole heart to whatever it was. And yes, I would do anything for you. Yeah. It was ultimately a love story in the end. And uh, the show is just full of all these great little interiorities. It was it was a lot of fun to do. But no, a, as an actor, it was a really interesting challenge. I was like, how do I how do I approach this? Yeah. Um, the coat must have helped too, though. That really rad coat that Baton had. I have yeah. the coat. You have the coat? I kept the coat. No. So there were there were many of the coat because there were two actresses, right. two stunt doubles, and then backups and yeah. varying degrees of breakdown. So there were like eight coats in in all. Wow. Um, but I got the one that I wore most every day. Yay. Um, and Arlen got her the one she wore. Yeah. And then I think the stunt doubles took theirs no it's so yeah we've got a sweepstakes on at the moment where fans can uh win the coat no way yes the the doubles coats our stunt doubles coats because i think the other ones got sold or returned or whatever yeah so of the four coats that are in existence i have one arlen has one and there's two whoa up for grabs i love this idea of like you know somebody winning the coat yeah and then like walking around you get that to kind embody of energy the you know? nick de baton of it all yeah just use it use that energy for good <laughs> okay next question favorite song to blast when you're alone in the car i have been on my alicia keys really it's like because i went to the concert the other day oh and i bought the tickets a while ago it was coming up and I was like, ooh, Alicia. Now there's certain songs, because I I am the era of Alicia. Alicia yeah. has sung the soundtrack to my adult life and relationships for the last 20 years. Yeah. And what an amazing person. I just think of her separately outside of her art and her work. I just think of her as like such a bodhisattva. Like she's just yeah. such a heart-centered person and she reflects that in the choices that she makes in her career mm. and what she stands up for. I really appreciate that. It's a hard thing to do. But, you know, I'm like listening to her new music and going back on some old and I'm just like, wow, this is like the soundtrack of my life. But can we just talk about the lyricism of Alicia Keys? Mm. Because so on the way over here, um, As I Am was one of my favorite albums. They're all my favorite album. 
go and get her new album. It is so good. <laughs> yes, it is ma'am. So good. I'm not being sponsored by Alicia, Alicia Keys. Um, but we would happily be sponsored by Alicia Keys. Alicia, YBR Screen Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sabrina at um, Well, and her, her music, I mean, she's a force on oh the God. piano. Like, did she, did she, she play? She played. Her voice is her voice. Her voice is oh. exactly what it sounds like. She is exactly who you think she is. Mm. She cultivated such a like small club intimate feeling in this huge arena. Mm. She walked through the crowd. She is playing that piano in four inch heels and a bo- glitter bodysuit. Okay. What? <laughs> Not of this, sir. Didn't break a sweat. Wow. Didn't even hear her breathe. She was just out there doing it. But. Um, there's a song called Lesson Learned. Lesson Learned, okay. It's off an older album. I think the album is As I Am. I want to say it's her third album. Um, and it says, life perfect ain't perfect if you don't know what the struggle's for. Mm. Falling down ain't falling down if you don't cry when you hit the floor. I'm getting past because I've gotten past and I am nothing like I was before. You ought to see me now. Yes, I was burned, but I called it a lesson learned. Mistake overturned, so I called it a lesson learned. My soul has returned, so I called it a lesson learned. Another lesson learned. And I was like, well, (laughs) shit. Somebody cracked me a wine cooler because that is just it right there. Wow. I play that song every day when I go to set. I sing it at the top of my lungs because if that is not where I am in my life and that I have this piece of music to express it is like... I love that it's a celebration of self as Mm -hmm. well. You know, it's not about your relationships with other people. It's Mm -hmm. not... it's, It's all about about you and what you've gone through whoever Mm -hmm. you is that's listening i love that you have survived every difficult challenging thing that has ever happened to you Mm. if you can hear this you have survived every difficult challenging thing that you didn't think you could get over that you didn't think you could get through that you thought you were totally alone in you survived it you're here Mm. lesson learned there's a bunch of other ones that are yeah. about baby shaking and taking over the world and being amazing and all kind of other stuff. But that one. That's the one. That's the one. Man. So how, let's end with what the fuck. WTF. But I actually mean what the fuck in a positive way, not a ne- negative way. So in your, your journey through your life as an artist, when do you have or do you have – WTF, this is actually my life. Oh what my God. the fuck? This is actually my life. When do those happen for you? I had that the other day. On the show you can't talk about? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, in all these ways, you know, that moment sitting in my apartment, I have an incredible view in my apartment. Unfortunately, I have to move out if anybody knows. <laughs> oh, <meant>. man. <laughs> <laughs> Not till next year, though. Um, you know, I've, I've, 
I've recently reconnected with somebody from my past that was really meaningful to me. And we're beginning this really beautiful relationship. Um, I've got this kind of dream job mm. uh, where I get to play this reckless, bold, charismatic, funny, playful woman. And I can see a future out in front of me. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> If you knew where I came from, and not to say that it was terrible, I had an amazing childhood. You know, I had a pink bike with streamers. I had a best friend who had a pool who lived next door. I would oh. run around the neighborhood. I knew all the kids in the neighborhood, and we would just run around in other people's houses. Like, we went on fun vacations and, like, had the best time. Yeah. You know, I've lived all these kinds of lives, but I never thought that this is how it was going to turn out. Mm. Never ever this is wild and for all the things that i've been through and all the versions of it it is so worth it it's so extraordinary and i'm really excited to see kind of what happens next because yeah. i i didn't dream this up there's no way i'm sitting in south africa with my family watching star trek it was the thing that we got every Friday was the new episode, new generation, uh, next generation. I knew everybody and everything cut to, you know, decades later, I've done a show being directed by number one, Jonathan Frakes, Jonathan Frakes. who I adore. And I'm in Los Angeles and I'm walking down Sunset. I'm meeting my manager at very popular restaurant on sunset that people go to a lot and he's i'm new and i'm there and he's taking me out for lunch and we're going to talk about things and as i come in i see mr franks and i'm like jonathan hey and he gets up and he gives me a big hug and he's like oh this is great you can meet everybody and there is every single member of the star trek cast sitting Shut at that up. table you mean all the people that are my action figures except whoopi goldberg no Guinan. Everybody else. No Guinan. But wow. almost everybody else. And I'm just like, like, Deanna Troy gave me the invitation to be on Cameo. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm on Cameo. <laughs> wow. Is because, like, is because of Marina and, and Brent Spiner. Like, hmm. what? What the fuck? What the fuck? I think that's a... W-T-A-F. What the actual fuck? How do you make that connection? Do you know what I mean? I mean, how do you? Just just to live openly, live honestly, live authentically, you know? Even meeting Jonathan Frakes. I'm doing a, mo a TV show in Mexico where we're in the middle of nowhere outside Mexico City on this show I'm working with all these incredible people I'm working with Chadwick Boseman mm. Christopher McQuarrie's written this script I'm playing this character so far outside of myself I'm having a blast because she's just a violent <laughs> <laughs> she's just a it's little kind of scary how 
bright your eyes got as you were describing. She was so like, much fun. <laughs> well, because she just didn't take any shit from anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, um, John, I'm being directed by Jonathan Frakes yeah. in the middle of this, you know, and he's hilarious. But like, I, and never, never in a million years, I am, I am a very normal girl from Durban, South Africa, from a sleepy neighborhood, not close to the beach. <laughs> but your friend next door had a pool, so. <laughs> she had a lot of things. She was amazing. Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you here today, Candace. Aww. Thank you. Like from... From my heart, from the thank bottom you. of my heart. Thank you for being here. I'm glad we made this happen. No, you made this happen. No, we made you, this happen. You refused to be deterred <laughs> by my scatterbrainness. No, I appreciate you not for it. scattered. Listen, <laughs> every like almost every single interview that I schedule for the show has to be rescheduled, either because actor gets an audition or right. you know has to go do some days on set or because like yeah, I, I have my own you know chronic illnesses and issues and a child and you just gotta you know. take it as it comes yeah, yeah so I'm grateful so every like honestly this is like my 230 something episode like every single one has had to be rescheduled I'm not even kidding okay. and plus that's just like I'm my best friends are actors so <laughs> so you know I know you know how I we do are know. <laughs> the best people Candace Thank McClure you. where can our listeners find you follow you celebrate you on social media not in real life yeah don't come to my house no um, I like you guys but yeah not that much <laughs> <laughs> respect boundaries I love you so much from over here um, Candace McClure K-N-D-Y-S-E McClure on Instagram is where you're going to find me most. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the same on Twitter, although I'm not super active on Twitter. I'm really trying to get better at it, so definitely it's a really at me. Strange place. Like strange I love world. Twitter. Yep. It's my. It's where I am most of the time. It's how I find out what's going on. But you mm. know, what with like you know the war going on and to people not knowing how to talk about colonialism or racism Ooh. or all that stuff. I'm like I. I'm just gonna I love you from a distance, Twitter. We're just you know? gonna see it over here. No, <laughs> yeah. it is where I go for news. Like whenever something's happening and I want to find out, yeah. I go to Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but where I mainly engage with people is um, is on Instagram. Yeah, and, same. Um, I'll be on. I really want to be on TikTok. I feel like TikTok is actually my medium. Yeah. I just want to. I just got to figure out how to do it. You know who um who was not on TikTok before she did my show Ooh. and then joined like later that day and now is like really good at it. Oh. It's Jewel State. Oh, but Jewel's good at all that stuff because she's so quick witted and she's just herself well, yeah. irrespective. She's made for TikTok. I think you are too, though. Like she's hilarious. But you're very authentic. You know. Thank you. You know who who I learned I, a lot from Jewel actually in all the iterations of our of, of us working together and I got to work with her recently briefly and I was just I'm just so pleased for her I just think she deserves it so well she's so hardworking she's so the real funny. deal yeah <laughs> she's very funny she's very authentic Irreverent. and yeah yeah and like it's my favorite I just I love it because it doesn't feel fake you know like because there's some people you meet and you're like you're saying all the things. But I don't know if you believe all the things. I don't believe 
with all the things that you're saying to me. I don't know if you're living yeah. this life. Like, <laughs> is this your life? I think, I, yeah. So anyway, she's the real deal. Yes. She's lovely. What they got going on at Family Law, the the yes. the the, cre- the family that they've created the there. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Um, amazing. Really um, uh, so. Sorry. I am on TikTok, yes, TikTok. but I'm a creeper on TikTok because mm-hmm. I have an account and I follow 2,000 people, mm-hmm. but I post no content whatsoever. Oh, but I'm going to be, get better at it. I'm Candace Aid on TikTok. And we're going <laughs> to, if you follow me, yeah. you will encourage me and tell me what you want because I'm just at, like, I'm just at home, like, cooking and being weird in my garden that's what we want you know who i should connect you with is my 11 year old who who will they're her generation yeah (laughs) (laughs) well we can arrange something yeah um there are lessons that need to be learned about tiktok you will learn those lessons okay well thank you thank you very much from my heart and listeners thank you I love you. I miss you very much. So this will not be the first episode that I release for, from for the season, but it's my first episode that I'm recording from the studio, from my kitchen table. It's in the studio. It's my very old kitchen table. It's so nice to be back. I miss being here, and I'm so happy that my first guest back at the table was Candace McClure. Like, Candace fucking McClure. <laughs> I like that. That needs to be a T-shirt. I can't wear that T-shirt, or can I? Sorry. I think you can. <laughs> I think you can't. Well, it, you're the one who can, you know. I could wear if I'm walking with you. I'm like I'm with Candace fucking McClure, but you are Candace fucking McClure. Anyway, thank you. I've missed you all. I've been reading your your messages on Instagram and and tweets and all the episodes that you've been discovering uh, during our hiatus. So thank you, thank you very much. You can find us at www.yvrscreens.eh. I'm getting emotional. I can't even say it. www.yvrscreenzine.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but not TikTok because my daughter forbids me from going on TikTok. Although I do watch a lot of reels on Instagram um, because I love cat videos. And also um, I love videos of huskies because they are such drama queens. Yeah, they're they're so dramatic. Yeah, they're the most and so vocal. And I'm like, I'm a singer. I love the you know it's amazing anyway at Wavir Screen Scene at Sabrina Wavir Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me Sabrina Ronnie Mara the cheesemaker Furminger and it's edited by Simon Furminger Furminger is a very noble name special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad to Paul Furminger for technical support and to Dane not Furminger definitely poor poor not Furminger Dane but you know what Dane you are Furminger to us he wrote the original music. Wire Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, You can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, Visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. 
Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen. 